So last week, we started a brand new series, and it's called Many Gifts, One Spirit. Uh, Last week was sort of an intro, and today is intro part two, (laughs) okay? The next week, we get into the the nitty-gritty. But just to recap what we started talking about last week in this series, um, just so that you can catch up if you weren't with us or you didn't get a chance to go online and watch or listen to the podcast, God's Word tells us that every believer has a spiritual gift. Every believer can get a spiritual gift from God, and he's the one that gives those to his people, and he gives them for two specific purposes. The first purpose is so that they would glorify God in the use of the gift. The second is so that they would serve the needs of others. So we've got to keep that in our mind as we talk through the gifts that are given to the church. They're meant to glorify God and to grow and mature the church. Amen? So today I want to give you a couple more truths and applications about spiritual gifts. And then next week we start the journey of actually discovering and unpacking each one of the gifts, what it means If you have it, how to grow it and be better in it. If you want it, how to pray for it. If you see error when it comes to that gift, how to deal with it. We're going to have a great several weeks going through each one of these. So we've got a spiritual gifts assessment that we've loaded onto Facebook. And it was posted this past week. I hesitate to ask you how many of you filled and did your homework The pastor's wife is laughing on the front row, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. She did one a few years ago, um, and it's still inside the registry of our spiritual assessments for the church. Um, Those who go to our starting point class get an email invitation to fill out a digital copy and then get digital results. But this week... I want you to just consider, I'm not trying to guilt, well, maybe I am. I'm trying to guilt you into skip one of your Netflix episodes. It's, it's 50 questions. It literally, I retook it this week just to make sure, hey, have I really changed all that much or am I still in the same categories? And it took me all of six, seven minutes to, to do. You answer them quickly. You don't talk about them, think about them much. You just answer them straightforward and get to the bottom and then you see your results. But I say that to say it's a resource for you and it's going to help you in this series, especially starting next week as we start outlining and detailing each one of those um, gifts that we see in scripture. Um, I took it, like I said, this past week again, and I have a couple personal highlights I'll share with you. Um, This is not a pat on the back. This is just who I am and what my gifts assessment says. I'm going to tell you positives and being real. Come on, somebody. I'm going to tell you some negatives. And I know I'm going to hear some laughter when I get to the negatives because you, if you know me, know it's true. So... Here, here are the top three highest that your pastor scored in in the assessment. The first one, administration. The second one, leadership. And the third one, teaching. If you know me or have known me for a little while, you will agree those things sound very familiar when you think about your pastor. 
here's what the gift of administration um, on the kind of download, how it defines it. It says it's the God-given ability to understand what makes an organization function and special ability to plan and execute procedures and accomplish goals and vision. So it, it really kind of unpacks that when you get your results. And it tells you some pitfalls to watch out for. And it tells you people with this gift like to... Here's some things. If you've got the gift of administration, you like to develop strategies or plans to reach goals. You like to organize people and tasks. So here's the thing. On the flip side, I scored a zero in some categories. And I don't know about you. I've met a few people that when they take the personality tests and stuff like that that you see online, they're like kind of like all in the middle, like five, six, seven, five, six, seven, like just kind of mediocre all the, listen, when I take one, I am 1,050% in one direction and 0% in the other. And the same exact thing is true of this assessment and um, get ready for your laughter The places I scored a zero at are intercession and mercy. Would you believe that? Mercy. I have a buddy here. Thank God. (laughs) No, there's somebody in the back saying amen. It shouldn't be surprising to you. Here are some characteristics of a person who has the spiritual gift of mercy. I can demonstrate mercy. It's really hard for me to do, but I do it with my kids sometimes. It's really hard. And I walk away going, gosh, you're such a jerk. Uh, Yeah, oh, daddy, I can't believe that this happened to me. Okay, it's going to be fine. Let's just go eat lunch. You know, like I just move on. Like it's just, it is what it is. So here are some of the things that characterize a person with the spiritual gift that's flowing in their life of mercy. They are consistently empathetic. They're compassionate. And they're sensitive. We need people like that in the body of Christ. You say, well, pastor, you scored a zero. I think we should fire you and get a new one. Well, you're more than welcome to, but when you get him, he may be 100% mercy and no administration, and it be a complete mess. You've got to have the body of Christ that works together. That's why I tell people, I'll sit down with you for two or three counseling sessions, but outside of that, that's my limit. I refer out because A, I'm not all that gifted in that area, and the credentials that I have are very minimal. Plus, I just don't have the patience to work through it for the next six months with you complaining about the same thing. Praise God. This is too honest. Is this too honest for to go online for people? Okay, but this is what I'm telling you. I'm okay knowing that about myself. Some people choose to focus their entire life on strengthening their weakness and others end up strengthening their strengths and excelling and exceeding in those things. I think that there should be a little bit of balance there. I think that you should definitely have moments, if you're a person like me, that you practice mercy. And don't just say, okay, well, I'm not merciful. God didn't make me that way and use it as a cop-out. No, the Lord gives me moments in my life to be able to practice that gift, even if I don't have 100% of it. Okay, are you tracking with me this morning? So I'm, I'm trying to help you just see where we're headed. So I'm going to give you three truths, and we're going to categorize the gifts today in a unique way. 
And then, like I said, next week we'll start taking them on one by one. Um, I hope that you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this past week. If not, make sure you do this week because it will really help your understanding of what we're talking about. So let's hit the first truth this morning. Truth number one. God, not man, assigns the gifts. I said that in a different way last message, and I don't mean to sound redundant or insult your intelligence by having to repeat it again, but the way that it's worded is very, very important. God himself assigns the gifts. No man or woman can assign you the gift from God. It's clear in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, in fact, three different times Paul asserts this truth that God gives each person according to what he chooses. He gives each person a gift and those gifts are used in the body of Christ to benefit the body of Christ. And here's another side note. No believer has all of these gifts. There are some believers who only have one. There are many believers who have a few. But there is not a single believer that has all of them in action in their life. Not Moses. Not Paul. Not Billy Graham. Not your pastor. Not you. No one can have all of these things. So each believer has a gift or multiple gifts that are assigned to him by God. And I put here in my notes something to, to say about validity. The validity of the gift that you think you have, it gets, or the gift you, you have gets validated by spiritual authority in your life that you're accountable to. I want you to think about that for just a moment. The validity of your gift needs to be confirmed by those who are in your life that are authorities in your life that you are accountable to. So you say, well, wh why, why do you emphasize something like that or make a big deal out of that? Because sometimes people make mistakes. And you can look at your pastor in a moment of my mercy, that happens once a year, and say, wow, pastor, you're such a merciful man. And, and then that thought gets stuck in my head and I start to think, wow, Andrew's right. Yeah, that's right. I am full of mercy, aren't I? And I start heading in that direction. So I need those around me who I'm in fellowship with in prayer that I go to the Chinese buffet with like I did last week. Praise God, you did too. Um, sorry, I, t I talk about food every message. I'm sorry. But here's the deal. You need people in your life to help get you in line and keep you walking in the right direction. And those people can't just be peers or people on the same level. They need to be those who are in leadership above you so that they can validate the gift of God in you. So they don't give the gift. They don't assign the gift, but they definitely validate it. That's why Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy 4, he says this. He says, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that God has given you, but stir it up. And the image there is the stirring up of a fire. You're stoking the flames by stirring it up and letting more oxygen in. You're doing something, practically speaking, to help with that gift. So you've got to understand it's God, not man, who assigns the gifts. 
And there are some people who've been led in the wrong direction. So that's why we say lean on God's word and lean on the family of God around you to help you know what your gifts are. But first, do your homework. Okay, moving on. The story that I'm about to share with you is an incredible story. And it illustrates point number two, which I'll share with you what that point is in just a moment. But I found a newspaper article clipping, digital clipping, that you can see yourself online from March 24th, 1936 in the Iowa Globe Gazette. And I'm going to share that with you this morning. In, it's going to help frame what we're talking about. Thomas Overton, who was blind since age 20, graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law as the highest-ranking scholar that year in 1936. When he did, he was receiving his honor, and he insisted that half of the credit belonged to his friend, Stanley, I don't know how to say his last name, Kasperzak. Kasperzak. They met early on in law school, And because of a simple act of kindness, developed a friendship that spanned their entire lives. If you heard me, Thomas was blind since the age of 20. One day, Stanley, as freshman, Stanley sees him, notices that he's walking towards some stairs. And he offered this other person, complete stranger, he offered to walk him and guide him down the stairs. In their introductions to each other, Stanley told Thomas about his own deficiency. In fact, Thomas, when he reached out to be guided by the hand of the man who spoke to him, quickly realized the man who spoke had no arms. Both of his arms he had lost in two tragic accidents, actually, as the newspaper tells the story. So this armless man leads this blind man down a set of stairs and they begin this friendship throughout law school that then lasted a lifetime. And in short order, they became inseparable because the blind man carried the books for the armless man and the armless but seeing man read the books for the blind man. I want you to think about this. When Thomas was asked, and this is a quote that's in the article, when Thomas was asked about their unique friendship and partnership, he said a term, which is not a a real term, but he made up a word. He said, we are co-sufficient. And as I read this, I just, my heart was like, Wow, that's amazing to think about the partnership that they had. See, their individual deficiencies were overcome by the other one's capabilities. If that's not an image of the body of Christ, I don't know what is. So truth number two is this. Your gift is not for you. It's for others. You say, well, pastor, you just shared a story about two men with deficiencies or disabilities, not gifts. Surely, though, they were a gift to one another. So your gift is not for you, but it's for others. No believer is complete by himself. That's why I tell people, and this does not have to do with COVID. Don't read this wrong or hear this wrong. 
This is why I've told people for years, you can't be a healthy Christian and stay home all your life. You need to be part of the family of God. Amen. We're called to minister to one another as a family. If you look at the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you soon realize none of the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are self-serving. All of them serve others. If you're going to prophesy, then prophesy. Well, who are you going to prophesy to? Yourself? No, you're going to prophesy for the benefit of someone else. If you've got the gift of serving, who are you going to serve? Yourself? No, you're going to serve others. So the point of the gift or the purpose is that it was not given for you to be used by you for you, but to be given to you to be used for others. So a little rabbit trail here for a moment, but a little warning. We've got to be careful as we talk about the spiritual gifts and we head into this series for the next few weeks. You need to be warned about the threat of pride. Pride is a real thing and it's a real issue in every believer's life. It may be a smaller mountain to some or a larger mountain to many. But pride is a real thing. And there's a temptation to think that maybe our gift is of our own doing. Well, I've always been kind of bossy. So that's why I got the leadership gift. But if you really break it down. It's by the design of the one who put me together in my mother's womb. That even my leanings even towards those things are not of my own grace, but the grace of God. So this is something important that, you know, even though we're all wired in distinct ways, it's a direct result of God's design and purpose for you. So not even that can you take credit for. This is good. This is good for us to know this. Look at what Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Look up at me for a moment. Paul is giving this instruction to them about salvation, saying that you can't be saved as a result of doing your own good works. And this applies to what we're discussing today as well. It says there, verse 9, it is not a result of works so that no one may boast. So that you can't be puffed up and proud. Well, I'm just, I just happen to have the gift of mercy. No, God gave it to you and you better use it wisely. Verse 10, I love this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus For good works, which God planned and laid out before you were even here. He purposed them for you to do, that we should walk in them. There's something missing, I think, in many churches. And that is that idea of understanding what your individual spiritual gift is and how it plays a a role in the growth and the maturity of the church where you are. I really think that Paul was not misguided or just kind of making some eloquent phrases and putting them together. He truly believed by the Spirit of God, God is speaking that to those people then and to us today. 
you have been divinely created, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually created in Christ for good works that God even had in his mind before you were here. So when we stand before him someday in the future, I want him to be able to say to me and to each one of you, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, you did good with what you were given and how I created you. So that's what Ephesians chapter two says. But this is all in lines with that second point. Your gift is not for you. It's for others. So let's go to truth number three. And then we're going to give you some brief categories before we wrap up today. Truth number three is use it or lose it. I'm sure if you pause for just a second, you can think of something that this applies to in your life. Use it or lose it. Okay. But this is actually a kingdom principle as well. If you don't use your gift, you do have the ability or potential to lose it. I'm going to illustrate it for you today because we talk about this coming directly from God's word. This isn't something that I just made up to kind of have a warning and a threat to you. If you don't use your gift of mercy, then God's going to rip it out of your hands. No, it's a real kingdom principle. In fact, listen to Paul's encouragement to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 6. He says, we each have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, and then he goes on and lists out a few other gifts and says, if this, then absolutely do this. He lists some of those examples. I truly believe that you can grow your gift increasing your capacity, but I also understand through scripture and what I'm going to read to you in a moment from Matthew chapter 25, that there is the ability for it to be lost by you if you are not using it. You can lose your effectiveness and even the gift itself if you withhold your gift from the body of Christ. I think there are some sad, depressed believers who are selfishly holding on to their gift and not activating it in the body of Christ. And if they would just step up and step out in their gifting, they would find joy unspeakable beyond all their, all their imagination. Things would change in their small group, in their ministry circle, in their church, even in their community, if they would just act on that gift that God has put inside of them. So while I begin to talk to you about what happens in Matthew chapter 25, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you've got a physical one or a digital one and you want to look it up, we'll look at a few verses in a minute. But point number three that we've been talking about is use it or lose it. Jesus tells a parable in this passage about the kingdom of God. You'll recognize it if you've ever gone to Sunday school and you remember these stories being told or you've been in a message series or done a Bible study on the parables. Jesus told many of them and they were stories that had some exaggerated points in them in order to have this true application in the real time and day he was living in as well as for us today. So Jesus tells a parable about a landowner who leaves on a business trip. When he goes on this business trip, he entrusts his servants while he's gone. So to one servant, he gives five. The word is talenta. 
that's in the Greek that's recorded in Scripture. And I'm going to explain that to you, but I'll say an English version of it. He gives five talents to one servant. He gives two talents to another servant. And he gives one talent to the last servant. But to be clear, talents are not gifts. It's not like your special gift we're talking about. It was actually a monetary measurement. And I want you to think about this right now. It was a bucket full of coinage that weighed somewhere between 50 to 75 pounds, according to the study and research that I looked at. So the one servant was given literally a lifetime's worth. There's no, probably 10 lifetimes worth of a fortune to be managing or stewarding in the absence of the owner. And then the next one gets a little less than that. And the last one got just a little bit. So the first two servants, they end up doubling the value of what they've been given. When the owner comes back, when, when the landowner comes back, he comes back to find that the five talent individual now has 10 talents. Imagine that. That's like multiplying 5,000 into 5 million. Okay. Just imagine this is what's going on. And so Jesus is using this extravagant image for those people because most of them probably had never even set eyes on what a talent was, a talent of money in those days. So then the second one doubled what he got. He got two. And when the master came back, the, he was pleased with that, with that servant. And that servant was told, wow, you're awesome. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. You've doubled the investment that I gave. And then comes the third servant for which the master is absolutely furious. He gets this report about what happened with that servant. In verse 26, the master calls the servant wicked and lazy. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Look at what chapter 25 verse 27 says. It says, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own at least with interest. Okay, I'm adding a few words there for impact, but at least you could have made me a few dollars back extra. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. If you have spiritual ears in this place today, listen to the word of God about the kingdom of heaven and how it behaves. You say, well, how could a good God would take a gift from someone? Surely not. Jesus is very expressive in this moment. And he says, in fact, you're going to take it and not just bring it back to me. You're going to give it to the one who already was faithful with what I gave him and multiplied it because I know he'll use it. This is good. So give it to him who has the ten Talents, verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. Hey, here's the point. Don't be stingy. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, love, care, concern, all of those things. Don't be stingy. Amen. Okay. So it says for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be stripped or taken away. 
Cast this worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, this is really dramatic, y'all. Jesus is saying, if you're not faithful with what I've given you, with what the Father has given to you, when I come back and when this whole thing ends, then you're not really part of my kingdom at all. That phrase, outer darkness, that Jesus used, if you do some research, it was a common phrase to use those days. And what it really truly meant was outside the city walls where there was no light. And that was an image that no one wanted. They didn't want to be out there. It's unsafe. There's live wild animals. There's you know vagrants and whatever, these people who are coming and stealing things. It's a wild and willy place outside the walls and the safety of the kingdom. You don't want to be outside of there and be victimized. Jesus says, if you haven't done what I've asked you to do with the little I've given you, then that's your home now. This is, this is hard for us to maybe understand how sincere Jesus was. And he wasn't just doing this to make an extravagant point. He was preaching or teaching a principle of the kingdom of God. If you don't use it, you will lose it. The apostle Paul told Timothy, and I, I said this just a moment ago about 1 Timothy 4. Don't neglect the gift that you have. He then goes on to say this. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is good. That means that you should encourage someone when you see them activating their gift in the body of Christ so that they grow in that gift. Not to puff them up in pride, but to thank them for serving the body of Christ and the needs that we have. So God, not man, assigns the gifts. The gift is not for you, it's for others. And if you don't use it, you will lose it. So let's look at the quick, uh, quickly, let's look at the categories of spiritual gifts. But I want to give you a warning. These are not in an order of hierarchy, okay? This is not from most important or best to least kind of thing. This is just a little bit of a breakdown of how we can look at them. It doesn't include every gift that's found in scripture. And listen to me clearly, not every gift is listed. There are some other things that are active in the body of Christ that I've seen that don't have a phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So there are other ways that God can use you as well, but this is just basic categories. So let's look at the first category. These would be communication gifts. The gifts of exhortation, which would be like encouragement, and teaching. Why would these be together? Or the point of why these would be together is because of how much communication is needed. So you're a shy introvert and you have no real skill when it comes to the English language and you're really, really awkward and uncomfortable. Do you fit into these communication gifts? Here's my, here's my statement to you. You can, absolutely. God can use you and gift you in that thing even though it's not your natural ability, because this is a supernatural gift. The second type, now, and I would add prophecy to that first one of communication. Uh, 
The second type of gifts are this category, which would be serving gifts. I love our church. We're filled with some people who know how to serve, who know how to give, who have what we call in scripture or what I learned from the King James Version, the ministry of helps. Um, That means they're good doers in the body of Christ. Hospitality, mercy, service, those things would be together as they serve an actual need in the body of Christ and other people within the community. Another category that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks is a leading, the leading gifts. That would be those that have administration or leadership or the role of a pastor would be inside of those uh, that we talk about. It's due to how much oversight they have to give so they have to lead people. Try to make this as simple as possible. And then there's outreach type gifts. Now these outreach type gifts You may be surprised to know this about your pastor, but outreach is not my forte. You say, well, how'd you become a pastor then? The heart of God that he put inside of me, his heartbeat inside of me is my desired goal and goal is to always benefit the church of Jesus Christ and to help the believers in the body of Christ to live according to their purpose. That's how God formed and fashioned me. Can I preach salvation and call for people to respond? Absolutely. It's just not always in my wheelhouse. Billy Graham, I don't know that he ever ministered to pastors about the stuff that they went through just individually on the pastoral level, but I sure know that there are millions of people in heaven today as a result of that man calling them to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I praise God for people like him who are gifted in outreach. There are apostles who go into areas and communities. I would even say missions fits into this. Those who are called to be missionaries. And I would also put in this category something a little bit interesting. You might have thought, oh, it's a communication gift. No, I actually think it's an outreach gift. The gift of tongues and interpretation. You say, well, pastor, oh, y'all are Pentecostal. You're going to start talking about tongues, huh? Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's still today. It's still okay. It's still done by God's power. And it shouldn't be used in just groups and gatherings of believers because the Bible says so. The Bible says it's actually meant as a sign for unbelievers. So it's really nice that Sister Betty and Sister Judy get together and shout at each other in a prayer circle. But the real point of what, (laughs) thank you for laughing because I was trying to get some laughter. The real point of something on that whole nother level is so that unbelievers would say, what is going on? God himself is speaking to us right now through this. So we're going to, we'll have fun when we get to that week talking about the outreach gifts of those things like missions and apostleship and evangelism and tongues and interpretation. And then there's two other categories we'll hit. And while I talk about these two categories, worship team, why don't you come and join me? Because we're wrapping up. The two other categories that are in, um, in our series that we'll talk about are the spiritual insight type of gifts. 
You say knowledge, but you can learn that from a book. Yes, we're talking about a supernatural gift, and we'll show you examples throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, of each one of these gifts and how they can really activate in the body of Christ. But the gift of knowledge is something that God knows he shares with you that you didn't have prior knowledge of that can change someone's life or their situation. Wisdom would be how to approach a situation that you're facing that maybe is creative and outside of the box and something that the humans involved would have never thought of, but God drops a thought in the spirit of the person who has that gift and they're able to give wisdom and insight to that person. And then prophecy, that's literally God speaking to his people about things that are to come and encouraging us in that area, whatever area it is that's being discussed. So the spiritual insight gifts, those are powerful. Those are awesome too. And these last group of this last group of gifts is under what I call intercession gifts. They're the gift of faith. They're the gift of healing. They're the gift of miracles. I have a book in my office and I read it probably, I I skim it. I'm not going to tell you that I read it cover to cover, but it has biographies inside of it of those who've been involved in healings and in miracles in recent history, like in the 18th, 19th, 20th century. It outlines and it has documents in there about doctor proven, validated things of people being radically healed because God used someone in order to pray for them, to have faith, to believe they would stand up and get out of their wheelchair and walk again, and they did. It's called God's Generals. It's a powerful book. But people like, um, I would say a bunch of names, but Amy Semple McPherson comes to mind. She's part of the Foursquare Church and its origins. There were some powerful meetings that she was in where true healings took place. Another man named John G. Lake, there were some powerful things that happened in his ministry that were a result of being the demonstration of God's power on the earth. Wouldn't that be awesome if every church had someone that tapped into the gift of healing? Man, that would be powerful. It'd be amazing to see the body of Christ active in that way. So next week, we're going to start to discover in detail each one of these things. But today, I want you to stand. I want you to stand with me as we close our service. And I've shared with you those three truths that I really want you to consider. That God is the one who gives it. That you've got to make sure that you're using it or else you will lose it. And I want you to be challenged in your spirit this week, truly, that if you say, Pastor, I'm not really sure what God's will is for me or what gift he's given, then pray. We believe that the spirit of God still speaks. Can I get a loud amen? He still speaks to individuals today, not just to those in leadership or who have that gifting, but to little bitty guys like you and me. He speaks today. So you say, Father, would you help me this week understand what gift you've given me? And if you come to the conclusion that you're not really certain, maybe you're a newer believer and you're just not really sure how this all works and plays out, then by all means, look through 1 Corinthians 12 and start praying, God, give me one of these. Lord, I'm here. I want to use it for your glory. 
I want to use it for your kingdom. And for goodness sake, if you're a believer here in this house, I have prayed conviction on our church this week that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of each one of your hearts in a distinct way and motivate you. The word that Paul uses is spur one another on to good works. I think that we should be spurred by the Holy Spirit to stop being lazy and selfish and start using the gift that God has given us and let us see our church grow and mature. Father, I pray right now over Celebrate Church. Lord, the believers that are here today, I thank you for those who are who have their gifts. They've been using them and trying to be faithful. I pray you to increase their capacity and capability. Father, I pray for those who don't know yet what their gift is, that you, you by your Holy Spirit would reveal to them that gift this week. And Lord, I do pray conviction on each one of us, myself included, that your Holy Spirit would tug at our hearts in moments where we could exercise and practice the gift. God, help us to be sensitive to what you say to us. Lord, I thank you that you not only give us the gift of salvation by grace, but you give us these things as well for the benefit of the body that we're part of. Lord, thank you. Bless Celebrate Church this week. Lord, I know there are people represented here and even watching online that have physical needs or emotional needs, marital needs, job needs, financial needs. Father, I pray right now that you would give them sweet assurance and that you would move them and walk them through those difficult situations they're facing by your grace, your power, and your strength. In the mighty name of Jesus.